Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this is the next generation of talk now on talk radio 1210 WPHT Rich Zioli Will unconstitutional surveillance finally end? That is the question as we begin our fourth and final hour here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Great to be with you on a Monday as we kick off the week with the French Toast Industrial Complex warning us about a big storm tomorrow. But will they be right? Or will we all just needlessly run out to buy eggs and milk and more eggs and more milk and more bread and... More eggs and more milk. I don't know. My wife went to Costco today, and uh, she said it was mopped. That's all I know. Uh, Patrick and I hung out and did Legos. Kids are off from school, obviously, for MLK Day. Anyway, that's uh, the latest update I got for you. But as we're all waiting for the Iowa Caucus to uh, get underway here, when Justice John Paul Stevens issued his 1984 opinion in Chevron USA v. Natural Resources Defense Council, He started what legal scholar Gary Lawson later called nothing less than a bloodless constitutional revolution. This piece is written by Thomas Boyd in the New York Post. He's a former U.S. assistant attorney general appointed by President Reagan. Now, at the time, um, Chevron at the time was considered to be a, a good decision, believe it or not. But I always tell you in life, there's unintended consequences for everything, right? That's the thing. There's always unintended consequences for everything. Prohibition is a great example of this. You know, whenever I, 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 I joke with my friends, mostly who are parents, <laughs> so most of my friends, uh, about banning this or banning that. And I always tell them, you know, there's an unintended consequence to, to, to any ban. And the big thing about it is that typically people still do the activity. It just goes underground and sometimes becomes far worse, so, you know, it's it's easy to just think that the answer is just a ban when you forget about the unintended consequence. It's easy at the time with Chevron to think, hey, you know what? This was a great this was a great example uh, because we have to rely on the executive and their interpretation of the legislature in order for them to carry out the function of the executive. But like everything else, when you empower the executive branch bad things happen. And that's exactly what happened as a result of Chevron. Now, on long last on Wednesday, the Supreme Court is going to hear two cases that may signal the beginning of the end to that revolution. Article 1 of the Constitution explicitly directs that all legislative power herein 
granted, shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, not unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats, not regulatory agencies. Yet, Justice John Paul Stevens' opinion found that agencies may properly rely upon the incumbent administration's view of wise policy in reasonably defining statutory ambiguities. Ambiguities, excuse me. That legal doctrine known as the Chevron deference theory and former President Reagan's White House counsel, Peter Wallison, said it is the single most important reason the administrative state has continued to grow out of control. And the reason why is because when Chevron came around, it basically said to the executive branch, all right, all of you three-letter, four-letter agencies have at it. Congress passes a law. The law obviously can't specify every scenario. So you fill in the blanks and also take whatever intent Congress did and then come up with all kinds of rules and regulations that you think Congress meant to to also pass in the form of law. Now, that's stupid. Obviously, it, it was never intended for it to be that way, but that's the unintended consequence. So as a result, the EPA, for example, has said, well, you gave us the clean air law. We got to make sure there's clean air. So in order to do that, we have to ban this and pass that and regulate this and tax that and do it. And then even though Congress is not doing these things, we're doing it all under the Chevron deference. The idea that we, the executive, have the power and the ability to do these things. Forty years of regulatory and judicial turmoil has ensued. Uh, finally, crescending to a point that has compelled the United States Supreme Court to finally intervene. The case is Loper Bright Enterprises v. Raimondo from the District Columbia Circuit Court and Relentless v. Department of Commerce from the First Circuit. They're now before the Supreme Court. Both are companies that fish for herring in New England. And this is my favorite part about this. These are family-owned companies. And they are subject to something called the Magnuson-Stevens Act, which governs fishery management in federal waters. Hey, Johnny, you want to go fish for some herring today? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go fish for herring. That would be more of a recreational point of view. But imagine if that's your job. Imagine if your job, your company, your livelihood depends on fishing for herring. Delicious, delicious herring with obviously garlic and butter and, you know, you saute that herring up and or do a herring parmesan. By the way, incidentally, whether or not fish and cheese ever belong together is a a source of great controversy. Years ago, when we went to Italy for the Zioli Army trip to Tuscany, and we raided Tuscany, Mama Zioli and Papa Zioli and I snuck out one night for dinner. And we went to a little Italian restaurant within the village that we were staying in, and my mother loves linguine and clams, linguine avongole, and she wanted grated cheese on it. Now, that is such an American-Italian thing. It's like going there and going, hey, give me some gabagool and a little bit of mozzarella with my manad. I put some manad on it. And so the woman looked at her and went, huh? Now, luckily, the waitress had actually, she she lived in Brooklyn for a number of years, so she was kind of used to the American-Italian way of doing things. She goes, you know, we don't put a cheese on the fish, eh? The cheese does not go on the fish. And my father, being my father, of course, turned around Papa Zioli and said, I want grated cheese on my friggin' clams. So Mama Zioli got what she wanted, and they came out and gave her some grated cheese. Now, uh, this is a source of huge controversy, obviously, as you can imagine. I don't know if it spurred revolutions or not, but 
I digress. The point is, uh, so you have these guys at Herring there. Now, this act, this uh, this uh, Magnuson-Stevens Act, allowed for the National Marine Fisheries Service to require herring boats, which are relatively small vessels that normally carry only five to six people, to also carry federal monitors to enforce its regulations. So you got to have a federal monitor on board. And this guy's got to come along for the ride. Here's the best part. You's got to pay for it. You's got to pay for it. That's right. Now you's can't leave. So uh, federal monitor Bobby has to come on board the boat. And the best part about this is since you got to pay for it, it may cost you about $710 a day. Oh, yeah. Which could wind up being more than the profits you make from the fishing. As a next step, however, and without any express statutory authorization, the National Marine Fisheries Service decided to require Loper, Bright, and Relentless to also pay the salaries of these monitors, estimated by them to be $710 a day, an amount that can exceed the profits from a day's fishing. Both circuits validated this rule by pronouncing statutory silence to be an ambiguity that required Chevron deference. Now, as I think about it, if there is legislative silence or statutory silence, that means that it's not the law because Congress didn't pass it as the law. But the executive doesn't interpret it that way. The agencies go, oh, Congress didn't say, well, then therefore we'll just decide. Now, I think a reasonable, rational person would say that if there's statutory ambiguity, that would mean that Congress didn't intend for that to be something that occurs. Not, oh, well, then you just make it up. But again, that's why we're reasonable people. We're conservatives. We believe in limited government. It's for that reason. And this is why these bureaucrats have to be reined in because they turn around and go, oh, so this says nothing? Oh, well, then in that case, let's tell them we got to bring on uh, uh, your your idiot uh, nephew's uh, cousin to be a fishing boat monitor. And they got to pay him, uh, I don't know, 700 bucks a day. You sound good? And that's how this usually goes, of course. Some idiot with a powerful uncle who's a congressman can do nothing in his life but be a herring fishing boat monitor and make 700 bucks a day doing it, which, by the way, is good money. To what, sit there and monitor people fishing for herring? I mean, what's the worst what, 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 Worst part about your job? Is it inclement weather? Might, the boat might get a little rocky? You know what I mean? When it accepted uh, cert in both cases, the court posed a two-part question for the litigants to address. Here's question one. Whether the court should overrule Chevron or at least clarify the statutory silence concerning controversial powers expressly but narrowly granted elsewhere in the statute does not constitute an ambiguity requiring deference to the agency. Now, let me translate that for you. Do we overturn this or do we narrow this? To say that, okay, Chevron deference is ridiculous, or do we narrow it to say, just because there's an ambiguity, it doesn't really then just give you the right to just make stuff up. That's really what the court's going to decide. Was Chevron decided completely as an unconstitutional idea that the executive gets to have the final say? Because the question then, of course, is the unintended consequence of that is in do we have to have everything go back to Congress where Congress has a hard time passing anything and they have to clarify these things? Or does the idea that we narrow it so that if there's ambiguity, you just don't assume and and write a law that you think would, would work just because Congress didn't? 
I know it sort of sounds like the same thing, but if Congress didn't say you have to have a fishing boat monitor on board, why does the executive authority overseeing this just assume that they get to make that determination? And if Congress didn't write in the law that you got to pay that fishing herring boat monitor 700 bucks a day or whatever it is, why do they just assume that they get to decide? And the answer is they don't because they're the executive. Their job is to execute the law. Now, the point would be, all right, in order for us to execute this law, we have to interpret certain things. Fine. But it doesn't mean you get to add on to the law. You get to add on to the law, both with punitive damages and also with more regulatory powers for your agency. Because all executive agencies love to give themselves more power. It justifies their existence. The two options reflect the thoughts some of the justices have evidenced in their prior opinions. For example, in the majority opinion in West Virginia versus EPA, Chief Justice John Roberts commented, quote, we presume that Congress intends to make major policy decisions itself, not leave these decisions to agencies. And in his dissent in city of Arlington, Texas, VFCC, joined by Justice Samuel Alito, he wrote, the question of when an agency enjoys interpretive authority must be decided by a court without deference to an agency. What that basically means is that the agency doesn't automatically get the final say. Which is good, because that means that the thinking of the court is these agencies have far too much power. And in having far too much power, they don't get to just be the be-all and end-all. And the biggest offender of all this, of course, has been the EPA. No question about it. But not just the EPA. In their concurring opinion in West Virginia, Justice Neil Gorsuch, joined by Justice Alito, referred to the explosive growth of the administrative state since 1970, as well as former Barack Obama's 2014 promise to use executive orders and administrative rules to bypass Congress. You remember that. That's when Obama said, I have a pen and a phone. You remember that? What Obama promised to do at that point, much like all the progressives before him, Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, LBJ, was to Joe Joe Biden, who would come after him, obviously. uh, I I will use the power of, of the executive to pass laws by promulgating rules. And these rules are not subject to congressional review. I mean, Congress, if it doesn't like it, would have to pass a law to overturn it. Think about that for a moment. The executive branch has gotten so powerful. All these three-letter, four-letter agencies have gotten so powerful that they get to pass rules. They promulgate these rules. And here's how they do it, right? They publish something in the Federal Register. Here's the rule we want to do. We want to have herring fishing boat monitors on board boats. And here's a comment period. The comment period... It's sort of similar to probably what you write in, in like the journal at the bed and breakfast to stay at or, or maybe the, the wedding book or something. Nobody really reads it. Maybe once they don't care. It doesn't affect anything. And that's the end of it. It's like it's like bad open table reviews. And some of you write and be like, my pork chop was cold. And the restaurant might write back and go, oh, we're so sorry to hear that. Hope you give us another try. They don't really care. It's like they're, they're calling you up and giving you a free pork chop. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with the Federal Register. That people make their comments and the, the, the regulatory agency has already decided to do it. They're just following the rule of the regulatory process, which says that in order to promulgate a rule, even if that rule comes with jail time or fines, you have to put it in the Federal Register. The Constitution does not authorize agencies to use pen and phone regulations as substitutes for laws passed by the people's representatives. Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch is exactly correct when he said that. 
Similarly, Justice Clarence Thomas, in his 2015 concurring opinion in Michigan v. EPA, asserted that the judicial power requires a court to exercise its independent judgment in interpreting and expounding upon the laws, adding that the Chevron deference precludes judges from exercising that judgment. Translation, we should be able to overrule these idiots, these idiotic, uh, unaccountable, unelected bureaucrats, but really because of Chevron, we can't. Because the, the, the court gave them such power that unless we overturn this friggin' thing, th- their power is going to stand as being final. And Congress, if it wants to undo one of these rules, has to pass a law to undo it. I mean, think about this now. The legislative power is vested in the Congress, but now it's the regulatory, it's the executive that passes the vast, overwhelming, overwhelming majority of rules and regulations, which carry the, pay, the weight of law, but they're not passed by lawmakers. They're passed by bureaucrats. And the only way Congress can do anything about it is if Congress votes to overturn it. Now, doesn't that sound to you to be just a little bit out of whack? Of course it does. Do you think the founders, the framers of the Constitution ever intended for the president to be able to make laws by power of executive orders? No. Or by the power of even worse than executive orders, the power of the administrative state to pass a rule. Because executive orders, are they're easier to undo than rules are. Rules become something that it's a whole other process to undo a rule or a regulation. And by that time, who knows how many people have been hurt by it, how much commerce has been hurt by it. So Thomas Boyd, a uh, former U.S. attorney, uh, U.S. assistant attorney general appointed by President Reagan, concludes by saying interest in the case has been immense. More than 65 amicus briefs filed with the court by a wide range of interested parties. It's friends of the court briefs. Somehow it might be fitting for this court's ruling on the future of Chevron's deference to also be rendered on June 25th, 40 years to the day after it was created. When a decision will be forthcoming is unclear, but Chevron was originally released on June 25th, 1984, days from the end of that year's court term. A ruling striking down that overly broad grant of powers to federal agencies is long overdue. I completely concur with his analysis, and I think, as a matter of fact, it would be really, really good if in addition to um, smacking down Chevron, not not limiting the powers of Chevron, but really smacking Chevron down, I think in addition to that, it would be fantastic if they smack it down with extreme prejudice. And, and just have a huge ruling on this. But here's the problem again. You've got a bunch of lefties on the court who believe that it is w- entirely within the courts, uh, or excuse me, entirely with, within the realm of bureaucrats to make laws. And here's the reason why they do that. They do that because they want bureaucrats to be able to undermine what somebody who's a conservative might want from their agency. I'll give you an example. Say I'm a president and I want to rein in the EPA. I think climate change is a bunch of BS and I want to rein in the EPA. I want to rein it in, baby. I want to take away its powers. Well, you see, the thinking of the left is these unelectable, unaccountable bureaucrats, they're here longer than I am. My term's four years, maybe eight if I'm lucky. They'll be here forever. They've already been here forever and they'll be here forever. So they want the bureaucrats who are entrenched like cockroaches in a, ro- in, a, in, a, in a room, they want them to be able to go in there and do the will of the left, regardless of what the cabinet secretary wants or the president himself wants. You know what I'm saying? 
They don't want they don't want some conservative EPA administrator reigning in the EPA because that because the president doesn't believe climate change is actually man made and thinks the EPA battery nonsense is all nonsense. They don't want somebody to have that kind of power. So they like Chevron because it gives the bureaucrats the ability to override the president's conservative agenda. This is very central to what is known as Agenda 2025, which is the Heritage Foundation's idea, which is this is how we're going to deal with the executive branch of government. We have to drastically realign it. We have to realign the executive branch of government, and we need to do that by shifting the balance away from bureaucrats and back into the hands of the elected president who's accountable both to the people and to Congress vis-a-vis the uh, impeachment clause. That has to happen. And, and, and whether or not, you know, we can do this, not Agenda 25. Did I say Agenda 25? Is it? Yeah, it's Agenda 25, right? Yeah. Project 2025, excuse me. I think Agenda 25 is some WEF nonsense. Um in order to do that, it, it Chevron has to die. In order for their vision to come true, Chevron needs to die. Because if you're going to take the power of the executive and give it back to the elected president who's accountable both to the people and also to the Congress, you need to kill Chevron as part of this. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. It's Monday. It's Cockeye Day. I'll give you a great, another great example. Biden's going to find oil companies for excess methane. Where does he get that power to do that? Chevron. That's where. It's not a law, but he has the power through Chevron to do it, and that's exactly what he's going to do. I'll tell you about that straight ahead. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. John Kerry is stepping down as climate czar. <laughs> Who will shuttle him around in his private jets is my question. Uh, 855-839-1210. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. John Kerry will be stepping down uh, from his role as an unelected uh, position of um, climate czar. Where the What is a climate czar anyway? I mean, we have the EPA. The hell's a climate czar? Again, it's one of those unelectable, unaccountable bureaucrats, excuse me, that uh, we don't need. And it's just one more thing the executive says, all right, I'll just give more power to this person who has absolutely no accountability whatsoever. Special climate envoy, John Kerry, is expected to step. Why do we have him? We have an EPA administrator. Ah, He's expected to step down from his role in the coming weeks and hit the campaign trail alongside President Joe Biden to tout the Biden administration's efforts with regards to climate change. 
Axios first reported that Kerry was planning to shift into campaign mode on Saturday, mainly because he said that the climate was a key issue. And he feared the green initiatives would lose any momentum they might have if Biden were to lose his reelection by 2024. Now, as I tell you all the time, this is the reason why the left loves Chevron, because even if, say, Biden loses and Trump gets in, the policies of people like John Kerry and others will get to live on through unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats who will still do whatever the hell they want to do, whether or not the president and his new EPA administrator and his new climate czar decide that what that, that climate change is a bunch of BS, nothing more than what we know it is, which is a Marxist absolute takeover of the world and the economy. But this is why bureaucrats love Chevron. John Kerry will step down as U.S. Special Envoy for Climate. No successor yet has been named, but that person will have to have a horse face. Kerry, according to Axios, informed the president of his plans to help tell the climate story in the context of Biden's campaign during a meeting at the White House last week to recap last month's COP28 climate conference. That was the one in Dubai. I love Dubai, don't you? I do, too, because Dubai is awesome. Dubai turned around and said, hey, listen, here's the deal. All right. We make all of our money because of oil and we're still drilling. We're building islands so that we can keep drilling. We love it. And we're going to keep doing this. And welcome to our climate summit. All the straws are made of paper and all our napkins are recycled. And don't look over here at all the oil drilling we're doing because we understand you idiots are going to eventually tap out. You're going to need all of us. So, you know, don't worry about it. And when you charge all your electric vehicles tonight, when you charge all your electric vehicles and you make yourself feel feel really good about yourselves, remember you're charging them into a grid that is powered by, don't tell anybody, oil. Lots and lots of oil. We have a lot of it. Now, the EPA is out of control. Like, for example, the inspector general has found that uh, the United States EPA failed to properly report billions of dollars. Billions of dollars in its fiscal 2022 spending. First of all, the fact that the EPA spends that much money is shocking in and of itself. The fact that they uh, didn't report all of it is even equally as shocking. According to the uh, official public source of spending information, the EPA's spending was not complete or accurate because the EPA's Office of Chief Financial Officer did not follow its information technology configuration management procedures. Why are they spending so much money? What? Why do they spend so much and the reason why, of course, is because they need more ways to crack down on things like methane. And that's what the Biden administration is doing right now. So the EPA has now proposed fees on excess methane emissions from oil and gas sector. This is exactly what I'm talking about with regards to Chevron. Congress has not passed this. Congress won't, but the EPA will. The United States takes another big step on climate super pollutant. The action is one of the Biden administration's strongest against the fossil fuel industry under provisions of a 2022 climate law. So a law that was passed, and then they turned around, they used a Chevron deference doctrine to say, have at it, EPA, do whatever you want to do. And so even though the law does not include this crackdown, the EPA says, well, based on the intent of the law, we get to do this. They propose steep new fees on methane emissions from oil and gas facilities, escalating a crackdown on the fossil fuel industry's planet warming pollution. This is the Washington Post. So, of course, that is going to be a completely objective, objective writing, right? Escalating a crackdown on the fossil fuel industry's planet warming pollution. That's an opinion, of course, stated as a fact by the Washington Post. The proposed rule 
represents one of the biggest sticks in a White House climate strategy that has so far dangled carrots. President Biden's signature climate law, the Inflation Reduction Act. (laughs) I give the Washington Post credit for that, at least. I mean, come on, that's hysterical, isn't it? The, The signature climate law, the Inflation Reduction Act offers generous financial rewards for businesses that reduce their emissions, but it provides few punishments for companies that fail to do so. All right. So the intent of Congress then was to give incentives. But the EPA turns around and goes, yeah, 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 incentives don't work. See, carrots, they don't do it. So I got this stick. I'm going to smack you across the face with it if you don't do what I tell you to do. And we're going to use the Chevron deference doctrine to say we have the power to impose all these fees on people. The methane uh, emissions reduction program levies a fee on wasteful methane emissions from large oil and gas facilities. The fee starts at $900 per metric ton of emissions in 2024, increasing to $1,200 in 2025 and $1,500 in 2026 and thereafter. The EPA proposal lays out how the fee will be implemented, including how the charge will be calculated. It comes as the United States sees record oil production. Really? And as policymakers around the world increasingly focus on curbing methane, a climate super pollutant. Also, something that cows do when they toot. They create methane. Well, that's why they also want to get rid of beef, you know. And the environmental wackos, they also want to, they want you eating bugs. They don't want you eating beef because cows toot. We say toot. We don't say the F word for it. It's not polite. So in my house, if somebody goes, like one of the kids will never be, Reagan will turn around and go, you know, like Patrick tooted. That's okay. Toot's okay is an acceptable word. But anyway, when cows toot, they create, you know, the methane. So they want to get rid of all the cows. That's why they don't want you eating beef. They want you to eat nice bugs. I'm sure bugs probably toot too. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if bugs toot. I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not a bug guy. Never have been. What do they call bug people again? Bug people. Methane does not linger in the atmosphere as long as carbon dioxide, which, of course, you exhale. But it does far more effective at trapping heat, roughly 80 times more potent. It is responsible for nearly a third of global warming today. How do you know? How does the Washington Post know that? Oh, because scientists told them so. Oh, right. And the oil and gas industry accounts for about 14% of the world's annual methane emissions. I guess cows do the rest. Other large methane sources include livestock. (laughs) Those friggin' cows. And, you know, probably black Angus cows are probably the biggest offenders because black Angus beef is delicious. You think that's true? I don't know. I wonder about that. Like one of those scams, you think? I wonder about that sometimes. I go out to a restaurant and they say black Angus beef. I wonder, is, like, is, it, do I, is it really, does it really taste better? I, I don't know. Again, I don't know. Tomorrow, if it doesn't snow, I'm going to have lunch with Michael Pelka, Stunt Brain. Uh, he's a big beef guy. Maybe I'll ask him that question. He's all about that Japanese beef. Not the Wagyu, the other one. Oh, Australian. New Zealand, whatever it is. I don't know, something. But At the UN Climate Change Conference in Dubai in December, EPA Administrator Michael Regan announced final standards to limit methane emissions from U.S. oil and gas operations. Fossil fuel companies must comply with these standards or they will get a new fee. Quote, under President Biden's leadership, EPA is delivering on a comprehensive strategy to reduce wasteful methane emissions that endanger communities and fuel the climate crisis. Today's proposal, when finalized, will support a complementary set of technology standards and historic resources from the Inflation Reduction Act to incentivize industry innovation and prompt action. So we're going to reduce inflation by by further punishing companies and, and making things cost more. And when they say, by the way, today's proposal, when finalized, it's not going to be finalized by Congress. 
Oh, no, 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 you silly, silly, silly. It'll be finalized by the bureaucrats, the rulemaking process. And then there's nothing you can do about it. Now, if Congress doesn't like that, then Congress can pass a law to overturn it. But that's a lot of work. And that's also why the bureaucrats love Chevron, because it takes a lot of work to pass a law. It takes a lot of work to undo a rule, which is also you undo a rule by passing a law. The American Petroleum Institute, the top lobbying arm of the U.S. oil and gas industry. Don't you love that, too, how they write that? Again, this is a little bit of Washington Post bias here for you. For example, they quote two different sources in this article. Fred Krupp, president of the Environment, Environmental Defense Fund, said the fee will encourage fossil fuel firms to deploy innovative technologies that detect methane leaks. Second expert, but the American Petroleum Institute, the top lobbying arm of the U.S. oil and gas industry. How come Fred Krupp, president of the Environmental Defense Fund, isn't listed as the top lobbying arm of environmental wackos, environmental kooks? Because they're also a lobbying arm. The Environmental Defense Fund, like U.S. PERG, like all these other groups out there, they're all a bunch of lobbyists, too. They just, they just lobby for kookery. But the reason why the Washington Post does that is because lobbying sounds evil. So when they add that to the American Petroleum Institute, it sounds even darker, more nefarious, right? Whereas the Environmental Defense Fund, they just sound like good people. Good people who don't lobby Congress at all because they're good people. The American Petroleum Institute, the top lobbying arm of the U.S. oil and gas industry, has raised concerns about supply chain bottlenecks, which it says could delay the adoption of methane detection technologies. The Institute slammed the EPA proposal as a punitive tax that could choke domestic energy production. Because of course it is, and it will. Dustin Meyer, the uh, agency's senior vice president of policy, economics, and regulatory affairs, said... As the world looks to U.S. energy producers to provide stability in an increasingly unstable world, this punitive tax increase is a serious misstep that undermines America's energy advantage. While we support smart federal methane regulations, this proposal creates an incoherent, confusing regulatory regime that will only stifle innovation and undermine our ability to meet rising energy demand. And he called on Congress to repeal the EPA proposal. And this is the problem, because once these agencies pass these rules, then Congress has to pass a law to overturn it. And this is at the heart of Chevron. It's a big job to overturn a rule because Congress is not very good at getting anything done, quite frankly. And that's the dirty little secret of why the bureaucrats love Chevron and why they want to keep it going, because they know it's hard for Congress to pass a bill. So they want to be able to do all this stuff on their own. All of these these um, these people that get into government, all these little you know feel good people. It's like I'm going to go into government so I can change the world and do good things because I'm a good person. They don't want the legislature doing it. They want to do it themselves, and they don't want to be held accountable by anybody. So Representative August Fluger of Texas, whose uh, state is home to the vast oil-producing Permian Basin, has introduced a bill to scrap what he calls the natural gas tax. But the measure is unlikely to advance unless Republicans regain control of the Senate in the November elections. So you see, that's what I mean. That's why they love Chevron. It's why they love the bureaucracy, because they don't have to worry about that. And even if the Republicans get back in charge and even if a Republican president wins, the bureaucrats in these agencies can still undermine all of them as long as Chevron exists. And that's the fact. More to come is on our third, fourth and final hour as we get ready for the uh, Hawkeye Hawkeye. Don't go away. 
Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. All right, we are so close to the Iowa caucus. I love it. We are so close. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. We're so close. Three rallies. You've taken millions. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Thank you. That's all right. Go home to mommy. Your mommy's waiting. Go home to mommy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Go home to mommy. Go home to mommy. I love it. Uh, Trump also said you got to get out to vote. No matter how cold it is, you got to get out to vote. Get out there. Get out so there. If you want to save America from crooked Joe Biden, you must go caucus tomorrow. Very first step. We're the first step. We got to do it. We got to do it big. You got to get out. You can't sit home. If you're sick as a dog, you say, darling, I got to make it. Even if you vote and then pass away, it's worth it. <laughs> if you're sick, if you're just so sick, you can't tell it. I don't think. Get up. Get up. You get up. You vote. Yes, darling. It's ultimately, we know who calls the shots, right? Right? Right, Polly? So you be safe at all. You're going to be safe. And again, all indoors. It's going to be all indoors. But you got to get up. You got to vote. Uh, because it has nothing to do with anything but taking our nation back, and that's the biggest thing there is. So arrive no later than 6.30, and as I said earlier, the details are ia.donaldjtrump.com. Uh, the other, um, let's see, Nikki Haley said, I'm not interested in being Trump's VP. She wants to make that very clear to everybody. Iowans sometimes make their decision very late. Yes. This is still a, an open ball game. Yes. What's your closing argument to them? Yeah, I mean, the closing argument is let's get rid of the chaos. Let's leave the old names of the past and let's move forward with a new conservative leader that's going to get our country back on track. We can't go through four more years of chaos. We can't go through Trump or Biden anymore. Everybody, 75% of America said they don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. So I think we need to go forward and give them something else. And that's what we're trying to do is give them a new option. I've been talking to voters for the past two weekends and a lot of voters like you very much, but they say they're hoping you'll be a VP this time around. A VP to you know who? How do you feel about that? I don't play for second. I've never played for second. I'm not going to start now. I'm not interested in being vice president. I'm running to be president, and I'm running to win, and we will. What's your message to those voters in particular who like you enough to be VP, but right now are still stuck on Donald Trump? Well, I think, look, if you want four more years of chaos, that's what you're going to get. But what's more concerning is, if you look at those head-to-head polls, Trump and Biden are pretty much even. It's going to be a nail-biter of an election. We're going to be holding our breath. I don't want a president Uh, Well, that's never going to happen. I can tell you that. DeSantis was on with uh, Jake Tapper. He said, your vote will never count probably more than Iowa. That's because I think this is do or die for him personally. And joining me now is Republican presidential candidate, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Governor DeSantis, thanks so much for joining us. So the final Des Moines Register poll, considered the gold, gold standard for Iowa polling, shows you in third place, trailing Nikki Haley, more than 30 points behind Donald Trump. Your campaign is obviously focus so much attention and millions of dollars into Iowa. You've done, you visited 99 counties. You spent most of your time as a candidate there. Last month, you said you were going to win in Iowa. What happens if you finish, finish third? Is, is that the end of your campaign? Yes. <laughs> 
Well, happy 15th anniversary. Thanks Thank for having you. me on. Um, we're going to do well on Monday. Uh, our voters are very motivated. This is, I think it's very hard to poll an Iowa caucus, a period, which the 16 poll was not accurate, um, predicted, but especially one in negative 20 degrees. And so these are folks who are very motivated. Our voters are very motivated. You, we have spent a lot of time in Iowa because we've gone door to door, uh, getting people to commit to caucus to us. We've got a, a huge number of people uh, that have committed to caucus. Um, and we expect that these are the people that turn out. So there's a lot of excitement on the ground. We're in this for the long haul. We understand that you got to win a majority of the delegates. Uh, we understand that, that uh, there's a long process here, uh, but, but we're going to do well because we've done it right and our folks are, are going to turn out. And I think that anyone that tells you that they can, they can model exactly who's going to turn out in the broader electorate, uh, you just you, it's an unknowable. But I think with our folks, uh, they're committed, they're going to be there, um, and we're going to have a good night. So no matter what happens, no matter your result tomorrow night, you're, you're in the race, you're on to New Hampshire, you're on to South Carolina, on to Nevada. In fact, we have um, on two, the day after, we're going to do a town hall on CNN in New Hampshire. Uh, I'll also do some events in South Carolina, uh, and we will get to Nevada at some point. I'm, I'm participating in the. Well, we'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm not so sure his campaign can survive after this, and, and I wonder if he should. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who, of course, we talked about earlier, the issues with him and Trump, uh, went after Nikki Haley. Here's the hard truth, and nobody seems to want to acknowledge it, but it's what's happening in plain sight. And I'm going to ask you to open your eyes. They want to narrow this down to a two-horse race between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, a puppet who they can control. Then they want to eliminate Donald Trump this spring or whenever it is and trot their puppet into the White House. It's hiding in plain sight. We're not going to look back a year from now and say, oh, we were shocked that that happened. I think we're going to look back a year from now and say, how could we not see that happening when every clue was hiding in plain sight? They're selling us the rope today that they're gonna to use to hang us tomorrow. And we have an obligation to this country to make sure that doesn't happen. I'm in this race because we have a duty to this country and the America First movement to make sure this lives on no matter what. It didn't start in 2016. It started in 1776. And the system has made clear they're gonna now stop at nothing. And I mean nothing to keep Donald J. Trump out of office. I have pushed back against this at every step. I filed FOIA demands against the Biden administration. What did Biden and Merrick Garland tell Jack Smith in those federal prosecutions? This week, I filed a Supreme Court brief laying out what I view as the best legal arguments that the Supreme Court does need to hear in order to overturn Colorado's disastrous ruling. I've pushed back against this at every step. I'm the only candidate who has said I would remove myself from Maine and Colorado's ballots if they eliminate Trump. And I've called on every other Republican to do the same thing because that's how we protect ourselves against this election interference. But at a certain point, we have to open our eyes and see the hard truth. And yes, our duty is to this country. So we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, and obviously, I played you Doug Burgum's comments earlier today. Bernie Sanders says progressives will side with Joe Biden. True, really? President Biden has caught a lot of criticism from the left on his support for Israel uh, amid this war. You're a leader uh, on the progressive left, the, the movement that you helped create uh, in your presidential campaigns. Do you think that young progressives in the United States will ultimately rally behind Joe Biden in November, or has he seriously damaged his standing? Look, I, I think I, we will see what happens in November because the choice is pretty clear. Running against Donald Trump, who I suspect will be the Republican 
candidate is one of the most dangerous political figures in modern American history. So I think people will end up rallying around Biden. But there is no question. It is very hard for young people, I think, for most Americans. Look, let me, translation, Biden sucks. He is the worst, and he stinks, but Trump is a demagogue. I mean, that's Bernie's whole message, right? Trump's a demagogue. It's the only reason to support him. It's not because Biden's good. It's because Trump is that bad. That's the entire Democrat message in a nutshell. All right, we'll see what Iowa brings. Have a great rest of your night. The great one, Mark Levin, is up next. 855 Well, no point giving the number. On Twitter, keep the conversation going. At Rich Zioli. Thank you. Look forward to our post-Iowa Hawkeye Cockeye show tomorrow. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT. And on the free Odyssey app. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 